Hi, everyone. This is Trisha Griffith with Webster's Radio Podcast, and I have a question. By chance, have you been living in a cave in Afghanistan for the past year or so? Well, if you have been, then you're about the only people who have not heard about the Netflix docuseries called The Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. Now, the Netflix description of this series is as follows. Among the eccentrics and cult personalities in the stranger-than-fiction world of big cat owners, few stand out more than Joe Exotic, a mulleted, gun-toting polygamist and country-western singer who presides over an Oklahoma roadside zoo. Charismatic but misguided, Joe and an unbelievable cast of characters, including drug kingpins, con men, and cult leaders, all share a passion for big cats and the status and attention their dangerous menageries garner. But things take a very dark turn when Carol Baskin, an animal activist and owner of a big cat sanctuary, threatens to put them out of business, stoking a rivalry that eventually leads to Joe's arrest for a murder-for-hire plot and reveals a twisted tale where the only thing more dangerous than a big cat is its owner. Okay, that's the Netflix... uh, Oh, you know, kind of over-the-top, dramatic description. We're gonna we're gonna bring it back to earth today. We're going to bring it back to reality. Okay, here is the reality: the other big cat sanctuary owner, Carol Baskin, is now under investigation in the case of most likely of her murdered husband, Don Lewis. Don disappeared. Uh, and was declared legally dead in 2002, his widow, Carol Baskin, received his $5 million estate. Don Lewis was a real man. He had real family, real friends that cared about him, and people that miss him to this day. And one of the people that used to work for Don Lewis is Anne McQueen. Anne McQueen was Don's assistant. And Anne, I really appreciate you joining us today because we want to get the truth out about Don Lewis. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. How did you and Don meet? Please tell us about tell us about working for him. But first, how did you meet and, and end up working for him? Well, at the time, um, this when I first met him, I was a truck driver and I was looking for a job. And I went to work for him in driving a truck. We hauled um, new trailers from the manufacturer. We delivered back old landing gears and tandems back to the places that made the new tra- trailers for um, CSX Railroad. I worked for him as a driver. For roughly a little over a year and a half, um, then I got upset with him and I quit working for him. And I stayed home for a couple of three months. And then um, he had his daughter call me and ask me if I would come work in the office and take over her position as a dispatcher, um, bookkeeper, different various office duties. Mm-hmm. And would you mind telling us about why you got upset and quit the first time? 
because he overworked me and made me mad. And back in that day, I had I had a temper. Um, I still have a temper, but um, it was. I didn't have as much control over my temper back then as I do now. So understood. And so, when did you go back to work in the office for him? It was late '83, early '84. Um, his daughter Gail, who had been working in the office, um, had gotten pregnant, and she wanted to. Um, I. She wanted to go home and, and take care of her child, um, and he needed somebody to take over her duties, and that's what I did. I had never done that kind of thing before. I did not know that I could do it, but between Gail and Don, they both taught me how to run his business. When you went back to work for Don a second time, had he changed a little bit, did he realize he just overworked you the first time? Maybe did he back off a bit? No. Um <laughs> he well, he wasn't that type of person. He was he was a very hard worker. He he um never expected you to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Uh in the years that I worked for him, both driving and being in the office. He got out there and did the same thing that the guys did. He got out there in this hot part of sun, and, and he worked just as hard as them, and he expected everybody else to work hard. So, no, he, he was not he was not any easier than he was before. I mean, there, there were times that I would work 40 hours a week, and there were other times I'd work 60 hours a week. So it just depended on what needed to get done, and he expected to get done. Was he a mean person? No, he he wasn't mean. He was just very um, what was the word to put it? Um, he he was just he was just a hard worker. He, again, he just expected everybody to work as hard as he did. Did you like him as a as a person? At first, no. Um, I have to be honest. No, I didn't because I thought that there were there were some times that I really thought he was a real um, jerk, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Um, sometimes did I did I think that he expected too much of people? Yes, but that was at the beginning. Um, but then. With all his patience and between him and Gail and the, and the way that they taught me to do things, I understood him a little bit more. Um, over the years, we became very fast friends. Um, he was just, he was a special type person. Um, and, I mean, there there were times that he taught me things. There were times that he he advised me. There were other times that you know I'd do something wrong and he would chew my butt out. And um, that was just that was just the way things were. Do you know if his employees liked him? 
until he did something that made them mad. I mean, you're talking, you're talking truck drivers. Truck drivers um, are, <clears throat> oh, let's see. You would, you would take the fact that he would, he would expect the guy to work all day and then drive all night to get to a certain place. And yeah, there, there were times that the drivers would, would tell him to take a hike and they go home and they be, you know, they get mad at him and they quit. And two months later, three months later, they come back and ask for their job back and he would come back. That, that's very interesting. I, everything you've told me, I had absolutely no idea uh, was a part of, of Don Lewis's life. Let's, uh, and we're going to come back to Don, I'm sure, later in the interview, but uh, let's get back to some questions here. What were your first impressions of Carol, as we know her now, Carol Baskin? My first impression of her was that, my goodness, she was a gorgeous woman. She was very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever I first met her, I didn't have, other than to say hello, I didn't have much else anything to say to her. Right. So, yep. um, and she was always really sweet. Um, That's good. She was, to anybody else that she had to talk to. Right. She was the boss's wife, and usually the the uh, spouse doesn't get involved. No, not the first time I met her. She was not the boss's wife. Oh. She was just the boss's. Uh, the first time I met her, she was, Don was married to, um, Don was married to his first wife, Gladys, when I first met Carol. And was Carol working for Don at that time? When I first met her, no. So was that? We were just having an affair. Got it. Okay. I, so he, you met her as his girlfriend, basically. At the time, and what year was that, please? If you can remember, I can't That's really. Okay. I, I think I think I met her one time whenever I was still driving for him. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then I met her again after I had started working in the office. Got it. Okay, so eventually, Don Lewis ends up marrying Carol, and uh, I, I'm sure there was all. There's all kinds of dirt in the background there, but that's that's not why we're here today. What what I want to know is, and I'm I'm hoping you you can shed some light on this. Did Don ever reveal any details of problems with Carol? Did he ever complain or say anything about her to you? And if he did, what did he say? Most of the time, I mean, you know, they would have fusses. <laughs> they'd have fits and spats and and I mean just like any marriage it's, they'd be upset with each other one day and be fine the next day I believe that they got married I think it was in 1991 um, there really didn't seem to be a whole lot of problems until I think it was like early 96 when um, he got really upset with her for bouncing a couple of checks, and he started making her bring her um, her checkbook in to me for me to sit, and um, I would have to balance the checkbook for her because she did not know how to do it. Um, he was he was very upset then because um, 
he had to give her the money to make the, the bank right. Um, and that was in the in early '96. And and but then again, they'd have their their fusses and their their arguments. Um, but it didn't really to me seem like it was anything major. Uh, he had started planning on moving to Costa Rica, and I think that is one of the things really started falling apart. But still in there, he didn't share, and neither did she. Um, they didn't share with me their marital problems. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about their marital problems until um, until real close to the to the day that he disappeared. Uh, let's. I'm going to come back a little bit to her checkbook here. Uh, to Carol's checkbook, but you say you didn't know about any problems until close to the day he disappeared. Can you explain more about that? Tell us what those problems were and what happened. Well, um, approximately two months before he disappeared, um, approximately two months before he disappeared, he brought me in an envelope and he gave it to me and, um, it was in a sealed envelope. Mm-hmm. He did not tell me what was in it. He just told me to take it and keep it in a safe place. And I can't remember um, if he said, take it to the police if anything happens to me, or if he said, you'll know what to do with it. I brought it home. I put it in the drawer. I forgot about it. <clears throat> Again, I just thought maybe that they had had another one of their arguments and, you know, tomorrow would be fine. Um, that was in June. It seemed like um, the arguments, I never knew what the arguments were, were about. Mostly, Don wouldn't use the word we had a fight. Um, most of the time, he'd say we, we, have, we, we were fussing last night or we had a big fuss. And, and but he really didn't elaborate on what they were arguing about. Um, and I didn't ask. Um, the Friday, August the um, 15th of 1997, he came into the office. He got there probably about 11 o'clock in the morning. And this is all going from memory. So, you that's know, fine. 23 we, years later, it's we understand. Hard. Sure, we understand. He did go missing. Uh, August fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven. So yes, and we understand this is to the best of your of your memory, and that's that's absolutely perfect. So please continue. He he arrived at the office around eleven a.m. Um, and he did not look his normal self. He looked unkept. Um, he had not shaved. Um, he had not shaven. Um, I, I believe I looked at him and asked him what was wrong with him. Did he look like hell? And um, he said that him and Carol had had a big fuss the night before, <clears throat> and that he had slept in the trailer. Now, whenever I say trailer, I'm not talking about a house trailer. I am talking about the a semi trailer. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's the body of a semi trailer that where he had slept at the night before. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking if he had had anything to eat yet that morning. He said no. So I fixed him part of my lunch, <clears throat> and um, we talked for a little bit, 
and I can't remember the exact conversation. We went over the petty cash. I gave him some cash money. He signed for it, and he was very adamant that he was going to tell her that he was serious, that he was going to get divorced. Those were the last words that he said to me was, and I am well, he said, and I'm serious. It's going to happen this time. I am tired of it. I want out. I want a divorce. And he said, I am going to Costa Rica. And then I looked at him and I said, what am I supposed to do with all of this? And he said, all the trusts are in place. Everything is fine. He said they can fight over the rest of it. Um, which there wouldn't have been much left um, with all the trusts that were in place. There were trusts that were in place for his daughters. There were trusts that were in place for the sanctuary. Um, and there was there was a trust in place for Carol. Well, uh, can can so, I stop? Can, can I, I apologize? May I interrupt because I want to make sure that I that I understand what what you're saying. He said he said he was going to divorce Carol and leave everybody and just and leave and have everybody fight over the money and then he'd go to Costa Rica for the rest of his life. Well, there wouldn't have been much fighting if things had been the way that they were supposed to have went. Again, the trust, there were almost everything that he had were trust. There was the Guardian Angel Land Trust. There was the Don Lewis Trust. And there was the PSRL Land Trust. Um, so most everything, there, there wouldn't have been really anything left to fight over. And there may have been one or two properties that were not covered under the land trust, but there wouldn't have been much. So there wouldn't have been much for them to fight about. Um, Don saw the United States. His, his whole thing was that he was going, he bought, I think it was five or 600 acres down in Costa Rica. And his plan was to build little houses on it. And, and um, we're not sure if Don was thinking of the Y2K because back in the in the late 90s, you know, there was that big, big whatever is going to happen with the Y2K. Right. Everything was going to shut gonna down. Happen. Everything was going to go chaos, well, total chaos. Well, yes. And, and in his eyes, he thought that the United States was going to go, was going to hell in a handbasket, which as we can see now, it is. It mm -hmm. is the United States is going um, real quick, going downhill. Mm -hmm. But his whole thing was that the, the property down in Costa Rica would have been big enough for his family, my family, to move down there, and we'd all be fine. So he did um, his his plan was to actually leave the United States and start a new life in Costa Rica, and he was going to include you and your family in his life. I just want to make sure that's that's what you're saying, because that, again, this well, is a he, big shock to he me. He was going to include his family, mm -hmm. and, and yes, he said that there would be room um, for my family down there. Of course, I, I have never had the desire to leave the United States, and I still do. I'm hoping that we can turn things around and, and we can go back to business as, as usual, but 
you know, hope springs eternal. Um, at any rate, when John left the office, you know, I, I told him, I said, you really need to think about this. Again, I really didn't think it was anything serious. Um, just that they had had another fuss, another argument, another fight, whatever you want to call it. But that, um, there is one article, uh, that I think that was printed that said I tried calling him, um, and I, I tried calling him on his, on his, his cell phone, his car phone, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people are getting confused. Did he have a car phone and, and a cell phone? Mm-hmm. Well, we called what we now call cell phones is what we call car phones. A car phone, right. They were car phones at first, right, because you took them in your car. But um, there is one report that says that I called him and tried to talk him out of the divorce, which is kind of what it sounds like now. I don't believe a whole lot in divorce, but... Um, after that, then I never spoke to him again, which is very unusual, Don. And I spoke on a daily basis, sometimes two or three times a day. Don um, Don called me at least once a day when, when he would make um, frequent trips down to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. He even called me every day whenever he was in Costa Rica. It didn't matter to Don that, I mean, if he got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and he had a question for me, um, he'd pick up the phone and he would call me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it was rare. It was rare that he called me late at night. But well, okay, so not so rare. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Please finish your thought. I apologize. And it wasn't so rare that he would call me very early in the morning, and I was always answering the phone. Okay, I want I want to go back um, to to what you said earlier. And um, that he handed you a big envelope, but this was before August fifteenth. Do you know what was in that envelope? It wasn't. It wasn't. A, it was not a big envelope. It was just a regular letter size envelope. Oh, okay. Eagle size. And what did at you do with it? At the, well, at the time that he gave it to me, I just brought it home and I put it in a desk drawer, and I forgot about it. Um, the weekend of the. Monday the 18th, Don was scheduled to take some cars and a box truck down to Miami to be loaded on a barge to go to um, Costa Rica. And um, he, Friday, whenever he got ready to leave, he was supposed to call me that afternoon and tell me which cars that he was going to take down to Costa Rica so I could get the titles and stuff ready. Um, I tried calling him. I know that I tried calling him several times um, before Madeline and I left the office and I wanted to get the titles and stuff done. Title work, um, just going from um, going in the United States, title work back then was, there was like, six or seven pieces of paper that had to be filled out um, whenever you transferred a title to a dealership. It was even worse whenever you were exporting vehicles. There, had, there were extra papers that had to be filled out. Mm-hmm. And er, we did everything by hand. We were not computerized. So um, just one title would have taken anywhere from 
45 minutes to an hour to, to get ready to go once you get all the paperwork done because you had to be really careful. You couldn't make a mistake. Um, you couldn't use whiteout. You couldn't go back and correct the mistake. If you made a mistake, then you had to do an affidavit. If you made two mistakes, there had to be two affidavits that accompanied it to let them know why you made the mistake. Mm-hmm. So I, I had tried calling him several times before um, Madeline and I left the office. I did not want to have to come in on Saturday and do title work. He didn't answer my calls. I called him several, a bunch of times up until 11 or 12 o'clock Friday night. I um, resumed my trying to call him again Saturday morning, all through Saturday, all through Saturday night. I even called his handyman, um, Kenny Farr, and Kenny said that he hadn't seen him. Um, I called him all day Sunday. I called, um, I paged him. We each had a, um, both a car phone and a pager, mm-hmm. and I paged him um, numerous times. I, I couldn't tell you how many times that I paged him. Uh, we had a, um, we had a special code. It was 9797. If I paged him and just put my phone number in, that just meant, hey, Don, call me when you get a chance. But if I paged him and put 9797 in, that, and it, vice versa, that meant if if I put that number in, that stuff what you're doing, call me now. It's important. Um, I never got a phone call from him Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I called his car phone. I called the house phone. I paged him. I didn't get anybody to answer either of those phones. Um, I finally ended up getting a hold of Carol around 11 o'clock on Monday morning, which was the 18th. And I asked her, just kind of, just kind of like in a smart LFB West, do you, you have any idea where your husband's at? And her answer to me was no. And um, conversation went something like, well, I've been trying to get a hold of him all weekend long. Do you not? And she said that she had not seen him since um, she said yesterday morning, which would have been Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, didn't he go to church with you? And she said, no, he was pouting. So me and Jamie went by ourselves. And um, then I said, yeah, I told her, Carol, I said something's wrong. And she said, you think Don goes off like this all the time? Well, no, he didn't. We always knew where Don was at. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said that he did that to her all the time, that he would disappear and not tell her where he was going or what he was doing. Um, we went into a further conversation, and I said, well, I think something is definitely wrong. And she said, well, do you think I should call the, the church department? And I made another smart aleck remark, and I said, do you think? <laughs> and you know it, it kind of went from there mm-hmm. I think that she officially reported him missing on the 19th um, it is my belief that something happened to Don on the 15th um, let's let's talk there ab- is, oh, no please continue go ahead if 
if there had been a way for Don to answer his phone or to call me, he would have um, he would have either returned my phone call or he would have answered my phone call on Friday. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about what you think happened to him in just a moment. One final question, and I, I don't know if you can tell me this or not. What exactly was in the envelope that he had you hold on to? Do you remember? Exactly, yes. Exactly one week later, um, my assistant, um, she looked over at me and she said, and she said, what was in that envelope Don gave you a couple months ago? And I'm going, I don't know. It kind of struck an odd chord to both of us. Um, I We closed the office up early that day. I come home and I found the envelope in my desk. And, I mean, at the time, I had an old roll-top desk that my husband and I had refinished. And um, it, I had put it in that drawer. Well, I opened it, and when I opened the envelope, it was a an application for restraining order. And I, my knees buckled. Um, I thought to myself, oh, holy shit. And... Um, I immediately went to the phone. I called the sheriff's department. I tried to get a hold of the detectives, but they had already gone for the day. And I made an appointment um, with them to meet them at 8 o'clock the next morning at the sheriff's department. And that's what was in the envelope. Was was a was I think maybe it was the the original. I don't remember, but it was it was the restraining order, the application for the restraining order, which the judge actually denied. Do you remember what the the reason he was asking for the restraining order? You have to put a reason down on the paper. Do you remember what that said? That he was afraid for his life. They had gotten to a big trust. She had threatened to kill him. She had his um, gun. I don't remember, it might have been a 357 Magnum. Um, I am working with this this one group, it's um, River Jack Media. Mm-hmm. Um, on Facebook, it's called the Don Lewis Cold Case. Right, good group. All those documents, yes, the group, all of those documents are listed in that group. I don't remember the exact verbiage of the, of the restraining order, just that they had had a fuss and that she had threatened to kill him and that she had the gun. And maybe it was a three fifty seven. I'm not real sure what the the what kind of gun that it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so wow, that uh that must have like you said, your knees buckled when you saw that restraining order. Uh, let let's talk a little bit more about the divorce. On the fifteenth of August 1997, when Don came into you and said he's getting for going for a divorce, did he say that he told Carol that it was over and he was filing for a divorce? Do you know if she ever actually heard that from him that day or the night before? He told me that he was going to go home and tell her, and that was going to be it. That whenever he got home, he was going to make her understand that he had had enough. Wow. And then he disappears. Okay. Let's talk about that. I I have to wonder if you hadn't pushed Carol to call the sheriff, you know, 
and saying, well, do you think? I wonder if she, how long she would have waited or if she ever would have called. I'm sure eventually she'd have to to make it look good, but I wonder how long she would have waited. So I'm grateful that you were you were there to push her uh, to call so they knew very shortly after he left that he was missing. Let, after he was reported missing, how did Carol behave? What? How did she behave to you? Did you continue to work for her? Kind of get Phyllis in on that whole that whole situation, how it continued on after he went missing. The eighteenth, the Monday. I mean, we just all sat around because we didn't really know what to do. Um, I know that um, my assistant and I we called around to. Carol says that we called around to the hospitals and the morgues. I remember calling around to the hospitals, but I do not remember calling around to any of the morgues. But mm-hmm. I was I was certainly worried and upset, but we just kind of sort of, you know, I didn't want to do anything in case he was going to come back. Um, so the first week, really nothing drastic changed. Um, Carol never called me to ask me if I had heard from Don. Um, she didn't call anybody else and ask them if they had heard from Don or seen Don either. But um, the following Monday, which would have been, I believe, the 25th, the, the um, local news stations were going to release the fact that he was missing. Mm-hmm. So I called um, Don's oldest daughter, Donna. Um, I did not want her or any of the, his kids to hear it on the news that his father was missing. I called Donna and I told her, and I can't remember the exact conversation between Donna and I, but of course she was as worried as I was. And um, then... Later that afternoon, I let Carol know that I had let the girls know, and Carol's response was a little bit odd. She goes, well, what would you do that for? And I said, I didn't want them to hear it on the news. I mean, What did you do crazy. that for? That doesn't, well. Yeah, she says, what, what did you do that for? And, and again, I didn't want the girls to, to hear it you on the right. news. You were right. You were right to do that. She's she does, in my opinion only, kind of sounds like she doesn't have the human emotion to realize that was the right thing to do. Um, you know, it's it's just yeah, I, you did the absolute right thing. So when she said, "What'd you do that for?" and you told them, did she respond and, and say anything else? She just told me that she didn't think that I should have done that, and I don't remember what else that she and I spoke about. Um, the next day, um, Carol showed up at the office. You have to keep in mind that she did not ever, unless it was just her and Don that were running in and out of the office for a couple minutes. And most of the time that she came to the office, she was with Don. She never spent any time in the office. Um, but the next morning around 8.30, we opened the office at 8 o'clock, and I continued business as normal. Um, she showed up around 8.30, and she sat there at Donna's desk all day long. 
And I believe she left around 3.30 in the afternoon, uh, saying something that she had to go home with these kittens. And um, I thought that was a little bit odd, and it was uncomfortable, because, again, she had never really spent any time in the office. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, okay, maybe she is worried about her husband. I don't know. Um, but she did the same thing Tuesday morning. And, um, no, she, that was Tuesday. She did the same thing Wednesday morning. She stayed there all day until about 3.30. And then Thursday, um, she did, she come in at 8.30 in the morning. And, um, I remember mentioning to her, I'm still trying to get down on the phone. I'm still hoping that he'll answer his phone. And that's whenever she told me, that um, I could quit calling his phone because she had found his phone in one of the cars. Um, I later learned that she had told the sheriff's department that he had given her his phone in case she needed it. I don't know why that would have happened because she, she just like I did, we we all had um, we all had car phones, but mm-hmm. um, it was. After whenever she left at 3.30 that afternoon, which was on Thursday, I believe it was the 28th, um, that's when Madeline looked over at me and asked me what was in the envelope, and that's whenever I came home, and um, both of us had thought it was odd, really super odd that she would say that she had gone home. Um, in hindsight, I sit back and I'm, I'm thinking, well, I mean... At the time, it was it was very upsetting. It was it was um, I think I can quote having no respect down back in those days, but um, and and you know looking back on it, it's like well if you had his phone all that time, why in the world didn't you answer it? Yeah. Whether it be whether whether her version that she found it in one of the cars or that Don gave it to her. And she knew that I was frantically calling it every five or ten minutes. Why didn't she answer it? Or why didn't she tell me the Sunday before, the Monday before? Why didn't she tell me on the 18th that she had a phone that I didn't need to keep calling it? You know, so those are the things that go through my mind now um, that I've had a chance to. But back then, I was, I was, I was scared. You were scared. Uh, whenever I saw that, yes, whenever I saw that, I, it, it scared me. I, I thought that something was wrong. Um, so Friday on the 29th, I met Detective Lingo, and I want to say the other detective's name was Fox, but I really don't remember. Okay. I, I only remember Detective Lingo because he was such a nice, um, he was such a nice man, mm-hmm. and I did like the color of his hair. He had that <laughs> silver gray hair that you know just oh, looked, handsome, handsome looking. Good. Right. Yeah, very good on a, on mm-hmm. an older man. Well, actually, even on women too. But, I agree. Um, at at any rate, um, I went to the sheriff's department, and when I wasn't at the office at eight thirty, Carol called me on on my phone, and she asked me where I was at. And I told her, I said, Carol, I said, I'm down at the sheriff's department. I said, you're um, doing an interview. I said, that it sounds to me like it's going to be a while. I'll call you when I'm done. And I'll meet you at the office. 
And I thought that was that. Um, and we hung up. And about 30 minutes later, I got a phone call from the security. It was ADT um, security mm-hmm. that said that our alarm was going off. And I'm going, well, I can't go, so go ahead and dispatch TPD. Okay. Which is the Tampa Police Department. Police Department, right. Um, our office was in the city limits. However, Carol and Don lived in the county, so it was the sheriff's department that um, actually took over the investigation because she reported it in the county. Mm-hmm. But um, when TPD got there, they let the alarm company know that it was the wife that was there, and Carol had had um, Penny Farr and her father Vernon Sears cut the locks on the gate and cut the locks on the office and they removed all of the files from the office. They removed anything and everything um, including there were three guns there. There was a pistol in my desk. There was a pistol in Don's desk and there was a just barely legal sawed-off shotgun beside my desk. Mm-hmm. All the financial records, um, it looked like, from the looks of it, it looked like what they had done was they had just taken my, the drawer, my drawers um, and just dumped them out. Everything was gone. The guns, my notes, wow. everything. Everything was gone from the office. Um, I don't remember exactly. I was probably at the sheriff's department for a couple hours. Um, Detective Lingo, um, well, TPD told the Elon company it was a civil matter. There wasn't anything they could do to stop it because she was the wife. Um, by the time that I got done with the detective, um, Detective Lingo offered to follow me back to the office. And when we got there, everything was in shambles. Nothing was still there. There, the... There were a couple of my pictures and a couple of my personal things that were uh, that were not taken, so I just put them in a small box. And um, Detective Lingo asked me, "Do you want to lock it back up?" And I'm going, "There's really no need to lock it back up. There's, I mean, I had in the first place, I had no way because they had cut the lock, and there was no way I could I could redo that." Uh, and and I looked at him, I said, "There's nothing else anybody can take." I mean. The, the file cabinets were gone. The, the fireproof safe was gone. Um, so there, there was no reason to lock it back up. And he asked me, so is there anything else that you need to hear? And I said, no. And he advised me then. He says, well, he says, if you have no need to come back, then he says, I wouldn't come back here. And that wow. was the last time that I saw that office. Two days later, um, she had... So I don't know who it was that did it, but some about it was about two days later. She had somebody hook up to the office trailer, and it was moved out to their property on Easy Street. You know, there was a newspaper report uh, that about about Carol removing the files. I, I apologize; you can hear the birds. I have I have a family of magpies arguing out in front of my window, so <laughs> it's a little noisy. Um, but anyway, according to the Tampa Bay article. Uh, the police found Carol removing the files from the trailer uh, with the help of, of Kenny Farr, the person you mentioned earlier. And 
obviously she didn't have a key, but why don't you, why wouldn't Don give her a key? Do you have any thoughts or ideas on that? And I, I just, I'm just kind of wondering what his thinking behind that was. Did she not have a key, but she didn't have the, um, the alarm code to turn the alarm off. Boy. Carol was allowed, Carol was not allowed in the office. Carol was not allowed to have access to the things in the office. Don had set it up for her stuff to be all off on Easy Street and the Guardian Angel Land Trust. Mm-hmm. Whatever was in that was what Carol was supposed to be managing. Um, keep in mind that he got upset with her all the time about her bouncing checks. And it, again, it was early 96 that he finally got set up with her. I think it was a pretty good sized check that, that she bounced. Um, again, I can't, I can't exactly remember what the, what the figure was that was 96. And, but, um, it was big. But she had never even really shown any interest to be in the office. Mm-hmm. To to be fair, to be fair, it, it, it's it's not that she wasn't allowed, but she never really showed any interest in in being in the office and, and what was done in the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that this again, I'm I'm putting this timeline together in my head, and it is beyond suspicious. Uh, and I'm just surprised that more wasn't done about it back then. Uh, by authorities, but uh, Carol did say that she saw you removing files. Hold on one second. I'm gonna hopefully, they'll get over there. I don't know. Can you hear that? Uh, uh, can you hear that? Uh, and your bird? Yeah. yeah. I can hear your bird. Oh They're my gosh. Fine. They're crazy. They're just wild magpies. They're all gathering out here to talk to each other. Anyway, uh, Carol said that she saw you removing files from the trailer. Did that ever happen? No, she just lied. There were there were no there were no files left to be removed. Um, the only thing that was left in that office was that there were when you walked into the office, and it was like a construction office trailer. I mean, it's, it's not like it was an office office. It was a it was it was just like you would see a construction trailer. Um, office. Mm-hmm. You walk in the front door, there was room for, we had three desks there. It was mine, my assistant, and then there was Don. And then off to the right, there was a, there was kind of like an office that maybe you would put the, the foreman, you know, of the job. Right, okay. You give him a little separate small office there. Mm-hmm. Well, mine, Don's, and, and Madeline's desk were all in, in the front room, that back room, we just mostly used it for storage for the old files and stuff for the internal revenue. I think back then, Don, you used to tell me had keep records for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think now you only have to keep them for seven, but um, all of our closed files were back there in that office. Even those those drawers, I mean, the, the file cabinets were still there, mm-hmm. but they were empty of any files that were even in them. Wow. I there, just, there wasn't anything left to take from the office. She even took my office chair, the one Don had bought me for my 
I was having real bad back problems back mm-hmm. in those days, and um, Don took me to Home Office, not, not Home Depot, but Office Depot, and for my birthday, he had bought me a really nice chair for me to sit in, opposed to the regular secretary chair that you would have. Mm-hmm. Susan took that. There wasn't anything left for me. There was no reason for me to take anything from that office. Then she just so, of course, made up a lie, which, again, we, we know that that happens in this case through and through. So, okay, let's let's continue on here. Uh, can you talk about Don's will? Can you tell us about that? You want to talk? Okay. There were, in my office, in a box, underneath my desk, and we never thought to move it and do anything else with it. Um, there were two wills. There was Carol's will and Don's will, mm-hmm. and there were two power of attorneys. Both the wills and the power of attorney. I was the power, I was the power of attorney for both Don and Carol, and both of the wills, I was the executive. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to ask me what was in the original will, I do not remember. Okay. Um, I, I, I just know that the one that Carol presented to the court that after his disappearance definitely was not his will. That was it. Didn't read anything like what was underneath my desk. I, I do. I, I, I do know that he made provisions in his will for the girls to get a portion of the estate. Um, Carol would have gotten the bulk of the estate if he had, and, and I, I want to say that those wills were done like in 94, 95, um, well before they started having any problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but Carol still would have got the bulk of the estate had he died in, you know, if he, if he had died two days after the will was written. She would have gotten the bulk of the estate, okay. and his girls would have gotten a portion of um, the will that she turned in to the court. It has now been proven by the group that, um, and since the group has gotten involved, there's been several um, handwriting experts, including the one that did the handwriting ex- um, the handwriting analysis for the Unabomber. Mm-hmm. Um, even he has said that the the signatures were traced. Right. We on the will that. Yeah. Um, again, if you just go to that group, I, I know I'm, I'm I'm saying the group that they have done a fantastic. Oh, I know job they have. On, They've done a magnificent on, on getting, job. On getting a, a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that will left everything to Carol. I mean, everything. And, but then you just forget about the will because the will doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. He disappeared, so he wasn't declared dead until five years later. Right. It's the power of attorney that you have to pay attention to. And you were supposed but, to be the person that had the power of attorney. But in the will that Carol turned over, who was the power of attorney? I'm sorry, what? Carol, oh, you you faded out here. Just can you, can you repeat that? It was Carol that was the power of attorney. In the power of attorney and the will that Carol um, turned over 
in September of 1997. Carol was the town attorney, and Carol was the executor and the beneficiary of Don's will. And that didn't raise any and eyebrows. That's that's amazing. But I'm sorry, continue. It did raise eyebrows. Um, everybody, including myself, kept saying that that wasn't Don's signature. Um, there were, the girls hired a handwriting expert, um, and the girls' handwriting expert agreed that, that it, they, it appeared to be traced. Carol hired two handwriting experts, and, um, of course, the ones that she hired said, no, that's the correct signature. So it, 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 it would have been a battle of the experts. Um, neither the girls nor I um, had the kind of money. Sure. No, understood. And, you know, we're, right. we're talking, we're t- we, we fought, well, we didn't fight with her, but we went back and forth for a little over a year. I mean, by the time that, by the time that everything was, was settled, they, the girls and I were, we were, we were, we were physically, mentally, and uh, financially set. I can only I mean, imagine. I, I didn't have any more money for an attorney. No, um, and nobody should. I'm sorry, please continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Excuse me um, publicly of embezzling properties um, by putting properties in my name. What? We didn't have access the public records the way that we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way that I could I could have afforded to have somebody go down and, and search the records. Um, I have become a little bit smarter over the past 23 years. Um, one of the things that didn't get pointed out was, yes, there were properties in my name. There were several properties in my name, but they were in my name as trustee. Mm-hmm. Trust document shows that Don was the beneficiary. You know, um, for years, there had been properties in my name as trustee. Um, right. And if if we had been smarter back in those days, then yes, we probably could have. But again, we, we were... Like I said, emotionally, physically, and financially, it, uh, we were. You were spent, and that's exactly right. And 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 I want to uh, clear up something here. When I said it didn't raise any eyebrows that all of a sudden Carol brought this new will that gave everything to her, including power of attorney and executor, I was talking about uh, the police department didn't step in and do an investigation. It shouldn't be up to you. Uh, and, and to try and his daughters to try and figure out if a crime's been committed. You know, I, I would have thought the authorities would have have stepped in. And no, and you did everything you could. And I'm I'm so grateful you're speaking out. Uh, yeah, the Facebook group is. Uh, can you give us the exact name of it again? I I belong to it. I can't remember the exact name. Cold case. Is it? But is it Don? Um, it's Don Lewis. There's a Donald's cold case filed, I believe. Donald's cold. I think that's I it. Had, yeah. 
Don Lewis. I have to look it up. That's that's okay. Don, Don Lewis cold case files. Yeah, they did. Uh, they have done absolutely amazing, amazing work. Rupert Jack Media has done, I think, sixty-seven YouTube's on it now. Wow. Um, it just recently. Um, when was it? It was Sunday night. Was it Sunday? Sunday he interviewed the three daughters. Mm -hmm. um, and they announced at that time, well, there's been a GoFundMe um, page set up for a reward. The girls are now um, offering a $100,000 reward for anybody leading to, um, you'd have to look it up for the exact verbiage, but it's got to, it's got to be that um, it leads to the, the arrest and conviction. Um, they have also now decided to do, um, they did a private memorial for their father mm -hmm. a few years ago. I think it was a, a year after he was declared dead, which I think he was declared dead in 2002. Two, right. Um, so I think it was in 2003 that the girls did a private memorial with just the three of them gathered around. Mm -hmm. um, but they are now going to have a public memorial for him um, in Temple Terrace August the 15th of this year. Again, that's all on... Um, it's all on, on the, the Don Lewis Cold Case uh, Facebook page. Right. And I want to I want to um, give the name of the GoFundMe. I've got it right here. It's uh, Don Lewis Missing Person Reward Fund. So just go to uh, GoFundMe.com, type in Don Lewis Missing Person Reward Fund, and the GoFundMe will, will pop up. Uh, Anne McQueen, this has been such an emotional uh just a huge emotional event in your life, uh, you know, since the day that Don went missing and you were worried sick about him. It's been 23 years, and I'm sure there wasn't a day that goes by that you don't think about him, and especially now when you saw what Netflix did with The uh, the Tiger King. Did you know about that uh, that show before it came out, or were you surprised as everybody? I know the extent of the first two episodes um, I, I knew that over the years I have had I over the years I've had I don't know how many phone calls from different reporters and stuff that I've just you know I've, I've turned down that I don't have anything to say because there was really no point in it um, whenever it came to Speaking to Rebecca and Eric, um, the ones that were producers of, of the Tiger King, I would have said no to that. However, Linda, the um, middle daughter, is she called me and asked me if I would at least speak to them. And mm -hmm. I did. And I thought, okay, well, maybe we'll get some coverage and maybe it'll be brought back to life. And But the... I did. I have to be honest with you. I did not watch all of one. Um, I did not watch all of two. I called Rebecca and told her, "I said, well, I can't watch this. This is just too much trash. Mm -hmm. it's, it's with all the cussing and, and the craziness." And she said, "Well, you have to at least watch episode three. So my husband and I filled ourselves and 
and we we did watch episode three. However, four, five, six, seven, and eight we have not watched. Um, I am surprised that of the publicity that it has brought out. Um, I hope that there is a chance that we can get some kind of closure. You mentioned about it being hard. Well, yes, it is hard. Um, it is especially hard on certain days of the year. Um, his birthday is, is April the 30th. And, and on those, on that particular day of the year, I get a little bit nostalgic and, and funky and depressed. And sure, then, of course. Uh, about a week, usually, usually about a week before and a week after, um, August the 15th, I get kind of funky and depressed and whiny and I cry a lot. And, um, after speaking with girls, they do too. There, there are other occasions, um, whenever there were things like we would sit down and I would do special things for the people that work for him. On those special days, I, I kind of, I get real nostalgic and, and I, um, I want to cry and I sit here talking to you and I think about those days and I'm it's, sorry. It's hard for me not to, it's hard for me not to sit here and cry, but, um, there, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that, that Carol has done. There's a lot of lies that she has told. Um, there are a lot of people that believe what she has to say. There's a lot of people that know that what she is saying is not true. So, um, well, and you doing interviews like this helps get the truth out about Carol. And I think uh, I think now the minority of people think that Carol is telling the truth, and the majority of the people are now seeing who Carol really is. Did she react to you making any public comments about this? Have you ever heard from her, or got a, someone gave you a message from her at all? She has not, but she's made it appear on her YouTube videos. Um, she has went back after me in full force, mm -hmm. which is fine. Um, back in back in 1997, again, like I said, I didn't have the I didn't have the access to the public records. Um, I didn't have the I, I learned a lot over the years. Um, I'm not afraid of her. I wasn't well. I'm not. Afraid of her anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid that I'm not afraid of the fact that she can accuse me of things that I didn't do that might get me put in jail. Um, there's too many ways to prove that she's lying now. Um, back in those days, I, I used to. Um, for about a week after. I found that restraining order. Um, I slept downstairs at my house. I slept close to the front door with my pistol in my hand. And mm -hmm. um, what little bit of sleep that I did get. Uh, the, the, my husband was, was a truck driver at the time. Um, all my kids had flown the nest. Um, they were... They were no longer living at home, so I was here by, my, by myself mm -hmm. during the week at night. And I, I did. I slept by the front door with a gun in my hand, and 
um, cup of coffee and a, and a cigarette too. But um, mm. it, the next weekend, my husband and I, um, we went to breakfast and we were reading the newspaper and I looked at an ad that said um, German Shepherd Rescue. And we were, it was at Denny's or Ron Del Avery, and we were talking, and, and he says, well, he says, let's go down there. It was probably a 45-minute drive. He said, let's go down there and and, um, and see what we can find. So we went down to this lady's house, and she probably had 15 or 20 German Shepherds, and, and we met a couple, and um, but then this one just really, she, she picked us out. We didn't pick her out. Um, her name was Molly. Mm-hmm. And um, we she, brought she picked Molly you out. home with us. She picked you out. How did that yeah. happen? That's so that's adorable. How did it happen? Well, she came up. The other dogs came up very timid. Very, I mean, they were very, very timid. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, um, it was kind of like weird that she just walked right up to me and she she's just, she walked right up to me. She sat as pretty as she could possibly sit. And she looked up at me with the saddest eye. And I just looked at my husband and I said, I think this one. And whenever I said, I think this one, she stood up. She came over and she got as close to me as she possibly could get. And that was. That was I it. To, she did. She picked yeah, you. She and knew. Then, uh, we, we brought her home, and um, we, we brought her home, and my husband left that afternoon to, like I said, he was a truck driver. He left that afternoon, and Miss Molly um, slept with me at night, and my husband came home, uh, it was either Friday or Saturday night, and Molly and I went to bed, and um, he stayed up watching TV, and I guess it was about two or three o'clock in the morning. He started up the stairs, and I thought that dog was going to eat him alive. Oh, wow. She would not let him get past the landing. She stood there at the door, and she was growling. Oh. It took me me a couple of minutes to get her to understand that it was okay for him to come up and share our bed with Mm -hmm. us. Yeah, now now it was her bed, too, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it was, it was definitely Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, she was three years old when we got her, and we had her for about fourteen, maybe fifteen years. Oh wow! So what a wonderful that is a wonderful story. Uh, animals are animals are just the best. We can count on our animals to protect us. Anyway, uh, just a couple more questions, Anne McQueen. You've been so gracious to give us this time, so. What do you think happened to Dawn? I have to be really careful what I say um, and how I say it. I, I do believe that he is dead. I believe that he was dead Friday the 15th. Um, and I believe that he was, I believe that he was killed and I believe that Carol knows more than what she's telling, and I, and I believe that the truth lies real close to Easy Street. Understood. Is there anything 
that uh, Web Sleuth, I'm the owner of WebSleuth.com, the, the true crime discussion forum. Uh, we have hundreds of thousands of members. Is there anything we can do to help you that you can think of? A lot of us do belong to the uh, Don Lewis Cole case on Facebook. Again, great group. Is there anything you can think we can do to help? I think that right now, I think that the GoFundMe thing um, is well worth um, anybody's time and effort to look into and, and donate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the Don Lewis Missing Persons Reward Fund on GoFundMe. And we can we can put that up at WebSluice, too. Uh, to help that out. Before we uh, close out, Anne, is there anything you can think of that you want to share with us that we haven't covered? Not really. I think that, I think right now that, um, again, the, the, the health and the girls with, with the, with the reward. Um, I think that, that there is also an attorney that has, um, there's an attorney that has offered to, um, to help whoever comes forward um, pro bono um, that also is, is on um, Ripper's page. I don't know the name of the attorney, mm-hmm. but I think that I think that we're closer. I think we need to keep pressure on the Sheriff's Department. Um, I don't think that the Sheriff's Department did a uh, thorough job um, back in 1997. I still don't think that the Sheriff's Department is doing um, everything that they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's been um, it's been twenty it's been twenty three years, and even after um, I believe that I believe that the Tiger King came out on March the twentieth. However, I didn't watch it until the twenty eighth. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I don't think that the girls have watched it yet. Period. Um, but in 23 years, the search department has not questioned, not, not only have they not questioned myself until recently, and then they still didn't, um, I, I think it was, it's been about four weeks since I went to the search department, but even then they didn't ask me questions. They did just exactly like you just did. They listened to me talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not just me that they haven't questioned. They haven't questioned any other individuals the way that they should have. Um, I, yeah, I think, agree. You yeah. would think in 23 years, and and they won't. Re- the thing of it is that they won't release the information because it's still an open case. Well, if you're not going to do your job, then I think what you should do is you should go ahead and close the case and turn it over to somebody else that will get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think that I think that our um, sheriff Conister, I think that he is. I don't think that he cares enough to do it. Um, we we are coming up on a new re-election, um, and I will put in a plug in there for Charles Boswell. Mm-hmm. If anybody out there in your in your radio land, if you're going to vote for somebody for Hillsborough County Sheriff, 
then it should be Charles Boswell. I think that he is, I think he's a man that's going to get out there and get things done, um, mostly because of his history and the way that he was treated. Um, I know that people aren't real happy with the law enforcement nowadays, but um, I, I do agree that there has to be changes made, but there also has to be justice needs to be served. Yes. I do I do honestly believe that again, I think that that I don't think I know that Donna's dead. I think that there were three key players, possibly four key players. Now whether it was an on purpose or whether it was an accident in the heat of the moment, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It is interesting, and I want to leave our listeners this, this one thought about what you said, Anne McQueen, assistant to Don Lewis and friend as well. Uh, the day that Don Lewis went missing, he came in and he told you that he was done. This is it. I'm going to go tell Carol I'm filing for divorce. And then he disappears. And I think that is where it all needs to start from. Anne McQueen, you have been so gracious and kind. I thank you. And if there's anything we can do, please do not hesitate to get in contact with me, okay? And that concludes this edition of Webster's Radio Podcast. We will have another show for you very, very soon. Take care and don't forget to check out Webster's.com. Trisha saying so long. <laughs>